All right, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning to our Northeast family. Uh, man, I, I, 2023 is here. This is crazy to me. Um, I would get to really kind of a cool way to open 2023 is to share with you the results of our Christmas missions offering from last year. This is our offering that we give together uh, over the course of the Advent season to our, and what we do is 100% of it goes to support partners here in Charlotte, like the Dream Center and the Pregnancy Resource Center. It also goes to church planters nationally and internationally because we believe the best thing for any local community is a healthy, functioning, gospel preaching local church. So that's, we want to be that here and we want to support those in other areas. Well, um, we, like I said, we don't keep any of it here. Our goal was $125,000. Like if we could raise $125,000, we thought that would really help get our partners going further faster with the gospel uh, and would be a big step for us. Um, All told, over the Christmas missions offering, you gave $170,000 to that offering. Praise God. Praise God, guys. Man. To me, that's a signal of a generous, sending-minded church, uh, and I'm glad to be a part of what God's doing here. Listen, I want to say, if you're new with us, either at Northeast or here at Providence Road, I want to welcome you and invite you to get in on what God's doing here. Um, We have something we call Starting Point. It's right after every service today. It's about 15 to 20 minutes. It's kind of an orientation into who we are. Uh, what we believe, what drives us as a church is going to be led by our staff team. Uh, we'll share our mission, vision, and values and give you a chance to ask some questions and, and get to know some folks. Pretty excited. Uh, my wife and I will be leading it here at Providence Road for the 9 o'clock. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Our Northeast team will be leading there. Um, with that said, we got some work to do today. So, oh, you got this cool thing uh, that you had on your seat. Everybody did. This journal is like, hey, it's 2023, in case you didn't know. All right? Um, This is great, especially if you're newer with us, you're going to see some of our mission, vision, and values even in there. Uh, You're going to see ways to get involved. You look on pages 29 and 30. 29 has our reading plan for 2023. 30 has like, here's some ways that you can learn more about what's going on with us. If you want to give, all that kind of stuff, it's all in there. And there's plenty of room for sermon notes because it's sermon time. So in your Bible, make your way over to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. So it's going to be right after Ruth. And before 2 Samuel. Isn't that convenient? So if you get to the two, just go back to the one and go all the way back to 1 Samuel 1. Here's the deal. We're going to be in this thing until right up to Easter. All right? Actually, maybe even a little bit after Easter. So I need to take just a few minutes and talk about what's going on with 1 Samuel. So here's what's going to happen. Um, I know you guys often complain to me about how short the sermons are here at Mercy, okay? So what I'm going to do is give you some bonus content right now, all right? I'm going to give you about five to seven minutes of what is going on with 1 Samuel. We're going to set the scene and context for 1 Samuel, and then we're going to jump into the first chapter of 1 Samuel, okay? So bonus content time, overview of 1 Samuel, super important. Why do we need this thing? This book is a historical account of how God took his people from this like disorganized group of tribes into a unified kingdom, how they go from being ruled by prophets and judges to being ruled by a monarch. In fact, our three main characters are going to be the last judge that they have in the first two kings. So this being a narrative, it will read a little bit like a story, a lot like a story. 
And I love that God in his wisdom chose to create us as storytellers, as story listeners. We love a good story. We learn through story because we live our lives as a story. We talk to one another. We share events in our lives through this form of story. And God in his grace has revealed himself to us through the written history of how he interacted with his people, of his story with his people. But this does mean something for how we read 1 Samuel. And by the way, I hope you will read it. I hope you'll go home and read it a lot. You're going to find tragedy, palace intrigue, friendship, war. A Goliath's going to show up in there. You're going to find courage, and you're going to find the clear providence of God. It's awesome. Running theme in this series, in fact, is going to be, how do I live my life? Is this question, how do I live my life in God's world? It's going to come from that presupposition that I believe there is a God. I believe he is in charge. Now, we'll say, sidebar, if you don't believe that yet, that's okay, too. We are really glad that you're here to consider what the Bible and what Christians believe about God. That is a really big step they're taking. In fact, even if you're listening to this because you're afraid to come into a church yet, I never know when to look when I'm talking to people who are listening to a sermon, right? But if you're listening to it, that's even a big step. And we want to help you take your next step with God. But we're going to go from the posture, of course, that we believe there is a God. He's in charge. He's got a plan. But I still got to live today. I still got to make decisions. I still have these competing desires in my own heart to navigate. I've got relationships to manage. I've got to figure out where to rent an apartment, what job to take, which school to apply to, and so on. And it'd be great if I could just know God's plan. Because I want to live like he wants me to live, but I don't know his plan. Well, the great thing about 1 Samuel is we're going to see God unfold another chapter in his plan through people who, just like you and I, don't know the future. They don't know either. And we're going, to a lot about, we're going to learn a lot about who God is and how we relate to him because of that. But reading this history is different than if we were reading something in the New Testament like a letter. All right, so I want to give you a couple of like how to read narrative just to help us go through as we finish up this book intro of 1 Samuel, okay? A couple of things. First, I do want you to see yourself in the characters, but I want you to pay a lot of attention to what God is doing. All right, so character studies that we're going to do, like one today with Hannah, we're going to see Hannah, Eli, Samuel, Saul, David, Jonathan, they're going to reveal so much about the human condition. You will see yourself in them, in their struggles, in their hopes and dreams, in their failures, in their victories. God has chosen to reveal himself to us through how he interacts with these people. So it's good and right to see how God relates to them and to learn about how you should relate to God. We're going to see, like I say, we'll see that a lot with Hannah today. But we can't stay in their shoes too long, or we'll only say things like, be like Hannah, be like David. And we'll miss the bigger message about how God is redeeming his people. So yes, learn from how God relates to his people. Find some heroes to emulate, some tragic figures to avoid, but leave learning more about God than about the characters. Okay? Which leads me right to the second point. Throughout this whole narrative, you got to keep the bigger story in mind. One of the fascinating things about the Bible is even it's 66 books written over 1,500 years, and despite that, it is still very clearly one unified account. What's often called the grand narrative, the story of God coming to rescue and redeem the sinners he loves. And that's important because we read these individual narratives in light of the big narrative. 
And that's big because the hero of the big narrative is Jesus. It's not you. It's not me. It's not any of these characters we're going to read about. So with each short account, you got to be looking for how it participates in telling the big story of God sending Jesus to rescue and redeem the sinners he loves. We're going to be looking for Jesus in this book, and we'll see him foreshadowed a lot. Let me give you sort of just one quick example of how, why this matters so much. You take David and Goliath, the, probably the most well-known story that's in this particular book, right? Take David and Goliath, and if all you read is just the thing, you don't read it without any other context, you'll read, man, you need to be like David, because David took a lot of courage and walked with God as he faced the Goliath that was way too big for him to overcome on your own, and you have Goliaths in your life, and so therefore, you should walk with God, and you should trust God to face the Goliaths of your life. The end. Well, is that true? Kind of. Right? There's part of that that is true. You do need to trust God with the things that are in front of you, and there's plenty of things that you cannot accomplish in your own strength. It's a great opportunity to trust God. But if that's all you do and you leave that alone and you miss the bigger picture of where this fits, you'll miss that what's happening in 1 Samuel 17 with David and Goliath is that God's people are facing an enemy that they cannot conquer on their own. A terrifying enemy. And so what God does is he sends out one representative from his people to go and slay the enemy on behalf of his people. And then all of his scared, helpless people get to share in the victory that the one won over the great enemy. What is that? That's a huge foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not David. I'm not David. David is representative of Jesus. Goliath's representative of Satan, sin, and death. We're helpless, scared Israel up on the hill. See, like, that's just, I'm going to say that again, by the way, when we get to 1 Samuel 17. But I'm using it as an example of why we need to keep that bigger picture in mind. Last thing I'll tell you about this book. The object, like I said, is to show us how it went from a bunch of tribes to a unified kingdom. Right? And this is actually, First and Second Samuel are one book but it got divided into two over time because the scroll was too cumbersome. And so they just made it into two, okay? Uh, and it may, it's such a wonderful, as it goes into talking about the kingdom, it's such a wonderful foreshadowing of Jesus who talks about bringing God's kingdom here on earth. And that kingdom begins to unfold or come together anyways here in 1 Samuel. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of great people in here, but they have tragic flaws. Even the kingdom itself has tragic flaws, but it's developing and bringing into focus God's bigger plan of sending Jesus to rescue and redeem sinners he loves. With all that said, let's begin 1 Samuel, the account of a faithful God, account of a faithful God who guides his people, protects his people, fulfills his plan to establish his kingdom that one day he sends Jesus to rule over. And we start with the person who is perhaps the most pure in heart, the most faith-filled person in the entire book, a woman from a rural town named Hannah. In this opening chapter in our series, Living Our Lives in God's World, we're going to talk about prayer because we're going to see her pray. Our first three weeks are really all going to be on prayer. That's no accident. I love this. The Lord had this planned. Of course, I came out of my time away last year where I spent some time on sabbatical. Convinced 23 was to be a year of big steps of faith for Mercy Church. Still am. 
22, we experienced a lot of his faithfulness. 23, we're going to trust him by taking big steps. I believe our church is hungry and ready for big steps, for his fame and glory, to see an awakening here in Charlotte carried to the ends of the earth. But big steps must be preceded by people hungry and desperate for God. All great moves of God begin in prayer. So we're going to pray. And I'm going to teach you how to pray these first few weeks. We're going to pray together in our services. We're going to pray in community groups. I want you praying in families. My prayer for this church is actually... And just to become a people of prayer, no better place to start than 1 Samuel 1, where we see a faithful woman who keeps praying a prayer that has been unanswered for years. Unanswered prayer. Holy and good desires that God has withheld. It should be easy for you to understand why this matters. How do we respond to God when he doesn't seem faithful to us? How do I live my life in God's world when there's a gap between my knowledge of God and knowing to be good, knowing to be true, knowing to be faithful? in my experience of him in this world. So I'm going to show you the account, and along the way, I'm just going to kind of pause at three different spots, um, and we're going to just see three prayers that we're going to then pray at the end of our service. So 1 Samuel 1, verse 1. There was a man from Ramathim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jerome, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first name Hannah and the second Penina. Okay. For those of you newer to the Bible, newer to church, this is a little side for you. I don't want you to get hung up here on polygamy, okay, and what the Bible thinks about it. The other day I was with my sons, and I realized, uh, you know, I have Courtney, my wife, in my phone as wife Shelton, all right? This is just the way to... And that's what I put her number in as. And apparently sometime later, I put in her email address. I thought I added it to the contact. Apparently created a second contact, also called wife Shelton, Okay. We're driving home, me and my two sons, and I'm calling Courtney, the classic call of, hey, do you need me to get anything from the store? So I say out loud, hey, Siri, call wife Shelton. And that girl responds, which wife? (laughs) My sons have this whole existential experience in the backseat. Dad, what is she talking about? And I'm like, guys, I promise you, your mother is awesome, but one wife is enough. Okay, like... um, What I want you to know about the Bible is that the Bible is not endorsing polygamy and never does anywhere. In the Old Testament, what you see from time to time is that it tolerates polygamy. But every time you see it in the Old Testament, it's actually in a negative light. Alec Mortier, he describes the way the Bible presents polygamy as like the dark background there as a contrast to illuminate God's perfect plan of marriage. Uh, In fact, what we're going to see is this little sister-wife situation here proves to be the setting for a lot of pain and hurt. Here's what we see. Keep going in verse 2. Penina had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons are starting to meet some of the main players in this account. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. There's a childless woman that's at the center of this account. And if you've been at the Bible, you've been around the Bible for a while, you might think, that sounds familiar. And you'd be right. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren, and then the Lord gave her a child in fulfillment of his plan. And then their son's wife, Rebekah, was barren. And so Isaac prayed, and the Lord gave them twins, Jacob and Esau, in fulfillment of his plan. And then Jacob's wife, Rachel, was barren until God remembered her and gave her a son. And Samson's mother was barren until an angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, Behold, you shall give birth to a son which sounds familiar because then there's Mary who wasn't barren but could not possibly conceive 
because she'd not been with a man. And when the angel told her what would happen, she says, how can it be? And the angel responds, with God, all things are possible. When you look at the grand narrative of God's story, to send Jesus to rescue and redeem sinners he loves, it seems barren women are some of the pillars of God's plan of redemption. How beautiful is that? So whenever we see a childless woman, it should, Bible readers should signal like a flag goes up. This is important. God's work is afoot right now. Verse four, whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of meat to his wife, Penina, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival, that's Penina, would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, she went up to the Lord's house. Her rival taunted her this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband, O'Connor, would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? I want you to see something in here. Our author said twice. The Lord kept her from conceiving. Year after year, she went up to the Lord's house Year after year, she prayed for a child. She was not in sin. God was not punishing her for something. And everything in me wants to stop right here and pastor some of you for a moment because I know you're going through infertility just like Hannah. I actually believe, though, it's going to be better to let the story unfold a little more first. But I know some of you have prayed and wept because God has not given you a child. God has withheld that blessing, and it hurts. And others of you, God has given you a child only to take that child away in miscarriage. My wife and I have experienced that. And statistics say mathematically, it's a mathematical certainty that our church is filled with this kind of unfulfilled longing and grief. I just want you to know that I know. And way more importantly, God knows. And maybe this is why he has you here today. How do I live my life in God's world when it feels like he's not delivering? I don't understand it. Sisters especially, I want you to allow the Lord to shepherd you through this passage. And I promise you there are sisters in Christ who know your struggle, who are here for you, and will comfort you. God has given Mercy Church mighty women of faith, I believe, for times like this, for passages like this, to be able to rise up and pray over fellow sisters. And I believe God will work through them in your life. I believe he has work to do here with this. Let's keep going. Verse 9. On one occasion... Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple, deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. His hair will never be cut. I'm going to talk more about her emotions that God has allowed us to see after verse 16, where she talks a little more about that. But this prayer, it's the very first time in Scripture that God is addressed by an individual as the Lord of armies. The armies are the armies of angels. This is why older, older translations will say Lord of hosts, because it's the angel armies. Right, The armies that appear in 2 Kings 6 surrounding Elisha's enemies. And she's acknowledging he commands them. He has authority to do whatever he pleases. And he says, please take notice of your servant's affliction. What a prayer. 
This is not a prayer of entitlement. This is not a prayer of, God, you owe me. God, I deserve this. Even more than us today praying this prayer, she has reason to believe that she deserved a child. It dates back to a promise in Deuteronomy 7 that God made to his people. Listen to this. God said to his people, if you listen to and are careful to keep these ordinances, the Lord your God will keep his covenant covenant loyalty with you as he swore to your ancestors. He'll love you. He'll bless you. He'll multiply you. He'll bless your offspring and the produce of your land, your grain, new wine and fresh oil, the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks and the land he swore to your ancestors he would give you. Blessing's going to pour out, Israel. You will be blessed above all peoples. There will be no infertile male or female among you or your livestock. And Hannah's going, what? what's going on? My knowledge of you is that you are faithful, but there's a gap right now where I'm not experiencing it and it hurts. Can anyone else relate to this? You promise to be with me, but I feel alone. You promise love, joy, and patience, but I, I waffle between angry and anxious all the time. You say the church is a family, but I feel like a stranger. You talk about the good of marriage, but I've been praying for my spouse for years and nothing has changed. There's a gap. Hannah believes, though, he's faithful still, and so she makes a vow. We don't know if she's made this vow before. We're not given that. We don't, what we know is this, this isn't some just like quick deal with God that we sometimes make. You know, this happens all the time in the school classrooms. Like, I'm never worried that prayer is actually going to be kicked out of schools. Because every time there's a pop quiz or an exam, you ask somebody sitting there, God, okay, you, you give me an A on this test. I'll never play video games again. I promise. I promise. No, that's not what this is. This is a, a deep longing, years in the making kind of vow. Very specific. Very specific because she says, if, God, if you give a son to me, I'll give him back a sacrifice of praise to the one who gave. Verse 12, while she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. She prayed verse 10. I told you, deeply hurt. Read that last line. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and my resentment. The reason I seem like I've lost control of my faculties is I've been praying from out of the depth of hurt and honestly, resentment. How honest is this? How grateful are you to God that he let this conversation unfold and recorded it for you and I? And I want you to see that this is a faithful prayer because sometimes we think we're showing signs of weak faith when we pray from a place of struggle with God. Not so. I would actually say it takes great faith to pray when you're grieved by God's delay or withholding. Some of you are mad at God right now, and you've been giving him the silent treatment because he's withheld something from you. God, you're going to ignore me. I'm going to ignore you. It's time for you to go to him with that anguish and resentment and bear it all. And it will not be easy. 
There's nothing calm, cool, and collected about Hannah here. This isn't the Instagram post with like your coffee mug, some tiny green plant, right? And like the, the serene scene of Bible time. This is disheveled, upset, complete outpouring of the soul. Is that girl drunk? Kind of prayer. And it's deep faith. It makes me think of um, Psalm 42.7. Deep calls out to deep. Which the beauty is that when you call out from the depth, there is something even deeper that will answer. Oh, so good. And I think here's the first of three prayers I want us to pray together today. Like I said, we'll pray them at the end of the sermon. But the first is a servant's prayer of desire. Basically, it's just verse 11. Lord of armies, because we need to do a little bit more of acknowledging who's in charge and who's not. Lord of armies, if you'll take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and forget me not and give to your servant, and I want you to fill in the blank. What's been weighing on you? What's that prayer that you need to pick, take back down off the shelf? You prayed it for a while. God didn't seem to deliver, and so you stopped. But if you give it, to your servant, I will give it back to you. Where do you feel, what is that prayer? Where do you feel the gap between your knowledge of God, your experience in this world? Some of you don't know how to pray this because you've never prayed. You don't know what that thing is. So let me ask you, what's got you worried? What do you think a lot about right now? Remember, it's God's world, not yours. You're living in his world. Maybe it's time to just take whatever that thing is to God and live surrendered to him as his servant. Some of you know instantly what this is. And you're not happy with me because I'm telling you to pray it again. Because you're in anguish and resentment towards God. And all I can say back to that is, man, God loves you. He loves you. He has not forgotten you, as you will see here in this account. God had a plan for bringing you even here today so you could go to him. And I promise it was loving of him to do that. You returning to him, allowing his spirit to begin to take down that wall you've built against him, that's part of his plan for what he's going to do next in you. And you might say in response, okay, I'll do it. If this is the secret to getting what I want from God, that's not how he works. It's the secret to getting closer to God by saying, God, you're worth more than even my deepest desire. And should you grant this to me, I'm going to give it back to you in service of you. Eli responds, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and she no longer looked despondent. Now, y'all, this little interaction would be easy to move past, just some editorial transition or something like that. I think it's actually very significant. I think it's what we often miss. Eli is the priest who stands between God and his people, and he blesses her prayer. And what I want you to see in this is a confirmation God has heard her prayer. So go in peace. God has heard you so you can have peace. She breaks her fast. She goes and eats. Her look changes. She no longer looks despondent. She walks away content and full. Listen, this is so big. She doesn't go and eat, break her fast, now look joyful because her circumstance has changed. Nothing's changed yet at all. She walks away in peace because God has heard her prayer and she trusts him. The depth of faith here and how it translates to living in God's world is remarkable. She leaves her burden with the Lord and she receives his peace while she still waits. 
I want that peace. I want that. And friends, God offers that to us today. Some of you walked in here deeply burdened, and you're going to walk out of here with a changed appearance, not because God has changed your circumstance, because at a, instead, now, at a really deep place, you haven't before, you finally poured out your need to God, and you're going to receive his peace. That's how we live in God's world when there's a gap that we feel. It's in surrender. It's in that burden. I'm giving it to him, and I'm receiving the peace that he promises. Whether my life is filled with blessing or cursing, I'm laying it at his feet again today, and I'm walking away with peace. Uh, This week, you'll see our Bible reading plan in that notebook you got. We read Job 1 and 2. Job 2, after his life has fallen apart, fallen apart, because everything's been taken from him. Verse 9, his wife says to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die? She's like, why are you still trusting God? Look at all this. Curse him and die. Let it be over. And he says, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity as well? What I see with Hannah here saying, God, my adversity, I'm in anguish. I'm in resentment. I got these feelings, but I'm leaving them here with you. And I'm receiving your peace. And we look at that from this side of the cross. Oh my goodness, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. I quote it a lot for you guys because I think it's how we walk living in God's world when there's a gap between what we are experiencing and what we know to be true. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which surpasses, transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is the second prayer I want us to pray today. It's a little bit of an awkward one because we're used to praying for things we want from God instead of receiving things he has already promised us. So this prayer is a receiving prayer. It says, God who has heard my prayer, just like Hannah, confident God has heard her prayer. God who's heard my prayer, I receive the peace of God that guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I receive the peace of God. Because we on the other side of the cross, we have the promise that he's with us. The Holy Spirit who bears the fruit of peace, he's with us. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. I don't know that we do that. I think we walk burdened because we're still carrying burdens because we don't trust God if we were to actually leave him with him. May Hannah here be a holy help to us. She didn't stop caring, caring, of course, about this. She didn't stop desiring She desired a child, but she walked away in the peace that comes from knowing God has heard her and he's more powerful than her anyway. I want that peace for us. Verse 19. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. Because she said, I requested him from the Lord. Here's the deal. Samuel sounds in Hebrew like, I requested him from the Lord. Like, sounds the same. Like one of y'all naming your little baby boy or girl running around here, a little answer to prayer. Hey, hey, answer to prayer. How you doing, bud? It's beautiful. Every time she says his name, she's reminded that God is faithful. Every time. Pretty powerful. And that would be the beautiful rap on this story, wouldn't it? God hears and answers prayer. 
Amen, hallelujah, and it's true. Let's sing some songs. But the most powerful part comes next to me. Elkanah set to go on his annual sacrifice trip. Hannah says, I'm not going this time. I'm going to wait till the boy is weaned, which means till he's two or three years old. Then I'm going to take him to stay there permanently. It's crazy. That's crazy to me. But it's what she said she'd do. The big day comes. They go up to the Lord's house. They sacrifice a bull. They didn't need to spend that much money. A lamb would have sufficed. They give this big offering. They go see Eli. I want to go down to verse 26. They see Eli, and she says, Please, my Lord, she said, As surely as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy. And since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he's given to the Lord. And then he worshiped. Some say she worshiped. Clearly, they all worshiped the Lord there. She follows through and gives her, listen, gives her one and only son back in service of God. Yes, that does sound familiar. Didn't Abraham do that with Isaac? Yes. Wait, didn't God the Father do that with Jesus? Yes. It's a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus, one piece, developing and starting to bring into focus what God's plan of redemption, this beautiful plan to rescue and redeem sinners he loves, what it's going to look like. She gives him back to God. And when she gives him back, she doesn't give him back resentful. She doesn't give him back mad that she actually has to follow through. I'm going to read you. Hannah's prayer. Sometimes your Bible might call it Hannah's song. This is what she says as she gives her son back. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. And then she talks about the upside down nature of the Lord, where the Lord likes to exalt the humble and bring low those who are proud. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them the throne of honor for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world on them. And he guards the steps of his faithful ones but the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. To his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. There's no king yet, but it's pointing. It's pointing towards that great story. And then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy served the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. The last prayer might be the hardest, but most important. It's the prayer of sacrificial worship. Lord, all I have, you have given me. I joyfully, joyfully give it back to you as an offering of worship. 
it may take a lot of work in your heart to get there. Instead of just, I give it back. I joyfully give it back. Because the difference between I give it back and I joyfully give it back, one is duty because you feel like you might be in guilt if you don't do something because God did something. The other is recognizing how good and great God is and how he is better than anything he gives anyways. And so I joyfully give it all back to you in worship. Joyfully. The blessings God has given you, give them back to him. Give them back to him before your heart tries to enthrone them in his place. You catch that? And then you tell him, do with my life what you will. Whether it's the two mites of the widow or a crazy amount of money that he's given you, give it back to him. Maybe you're in retirement and you have time. Give it back to him. Give it, maybe it's talent. Like, give your athleticism to him. Give your musical talent to him. Because if that thing, whatever it is he's given you, starts to sit on the throne, it will disappoint you eventually. I've really got... It's such a joy to pastor you guys year after year because I get to know different people's stories. Got to know a guy that's here at our church was a just awesome all-American golfer and realized that golf and this talent God had given him to play golf and he could go and do it professionally for a little while had become the thing that he worshiped and that controlled his identity more than God. And God brought him down through a tough series of things to realize, man, my life cannot be based on, my identity cannot be based on, how I feel about God cannot be based on my handicap, my score in a round. He now actually writes grace on every single one of his golf balls when he goes and, and plays. I don't play competitively anymore. He's realized, man, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Maybe it is that you're, you prayed for a long time to be married. Now you're finally married. Commit your spouse to the Lord because you can't control him or her. He or she cannot satisfy the desires of your heart. Give that person back to God. Give that child you prayed so long for back to God. Maybe it's your home. Whatever it is, I don't know. <laughs> All I know is the Lord and not his gifts is the only thing that will satisfy your heart. So here's what I want to close. We're going to do about three minutes or so of guided prayer that I'm going to guide you through. And then we'll transition into communion at both of our campuses. But I want to pray these prayers back to the Lord. And I want to make room to do that. I'm going to let you pray on your own. So this will be between you and the Lord, responding to the Lord. Um, we're going to kind of graduate from there over the course of our series. We're going to be praying together in our services. But it starts here just praying, you responding to the Lord. And I'm going to have prayer prompts on the screen to help you with that. So if you would... Get into a posture of prayer, and I'll lead you through this. You can, of course, look at the screen for these prompts, but I'll guide you through it. And I want to challenge you that are new to prayer to really take a try it out is the way that I would say to you. You've never tried it before. I'm going to give you the words. Let's pray together. Your first prayer is going to be a servant's prayer of desire. You pray to him, your own heart and mind, Lord of armies, if you will, take notice of your servant's affliction. Remember and forget me not and give to your servant that longing, that desire, that answer, that healing, a child, that wisdom, that counsel. I'm going to give it back in service to you. You take a moment and you pray and respond to the Lord with that prayer.
God, I know this is a hard prayer for some. It's a new prayer for others. Help us. Give us the the courage of Hannah, the faith and humility. Help us to remember here the way you answered Christ's prayer. If you will let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Thank you for Christ who prayed this prayer and you did not answer it by letting him be withheld from the cross, but you sent him to the cross and your great love for us. In our prayer of desire, God, help us to see Christ on the cross. You taking his life and sparing us and giving us our deepest need. Thank you, Father. God, help us to truly, and maybe as honestly as we ever have, just lay it down. Lay it down at your feet. It's a lot of, we're not going to know entirely how to feel about that. Can we really trust you? May we see the empty tomb and say, yes, we can. Next part of this prayer is a, a receiving prayer. Believing that that prayer you just prayed, God heard it. God, the Lord of armies, heard that prayer. You tell him, I receive the peace of God. This is if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I want you to pray to receive the peace of God. I believe Christ died on that cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. And so I can receive forgiveness I can receive the Holy Spirit that gives me that peace. You pray, God, I receive the peace of God that guards my heart and mind in Christ. Just receive it. Receive it. confess, God, this is the one that's maybe hardest for me. Because I want to ask. I want to ask you for things. I don't want to just receive right here. But I know I need it. Help that transaction to happen similar to the cross and the empty tomb. God, I lay my burdens down, my, my sin, my burden, all that is on the cross. And what I receive is peace that passes understanding. So God, help me to have that prayer of not being anxious about anything, but with thanksgiving, laying it down and joyfully receiving peace. God, I receive your peace today. We receive the peace of Christ. May we walk out changed, like right now changed, because the spirit of peace has revived our hearts and renewed our hearts again. And the burden is back where it belongs on you. leads us to the last prayer, a prayer of sacrificial worship. Lord, all I have, I'm acknowledging, Lord, you are Lord, not me, and all I have, you have given me. 
I joyfully give it back to you as an offering of worship. So do with my life what you will. Do with my life what you will. After I close this part of our time in prayer, we're going to transition into taking communion both here and at Mercy Northeast, and our teams at Northeast will lead us both there and here at Providence Road. Let's let's pray, God, all I have you have given to me. I don't even know fully what it means, but I'm going to give it back to you. Joyfully. (laughs) Joyfully. Lord, that's a work you got to do in my heart. Joyfully, I give it back to you. Do with my life what you will, and may God answer that prayer. Do with my life what you will. Amen.